This morning we're talking about a subject that impacts each and every one of us. Yeah, keep your hand up there going around with those. We have some in the front here. Anybody else there? Pastor Ron, yeah. So, but I want to ask you, how, how are you thinking this morning? How are you thinking this morning? This morning's concept of the passage we're, we're looking at has a lot to do with the way you and I think. Think about that. As you do, I want to address something that has impacted each and every one of us at different levels, different circumstances, different ways, but the subject of fear. Fear. It's an unpleasant, often a strong emotion caused by the belief, the anticipation, or the awareness, thinking, of someone or something that's dangerous. Likely to cause us pain or harm. Something or someone. And quite often it's anticipated, not even fully present. Whatever level you have dealt with that in your life, and I'm sure it's all over the spectrum, some this morning may even be dealing with this, this emotion of fear can cause many things. First, it can cause anxiety and worry. We looked at that last week, didn't we? If you'll recall, and I, I, I like the NLT's uh, rendition of this to recap, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Let me, let me read it for you. Don't worry about anything. This is summing up the message last week. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. That's prayer. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He's done that right focus, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. How many of you implemented that in your prayer life this week? How many are looking back going, darn, I wish I should have done that. I wish I should have. I don't know. Yeah, you get the idea. Shoulda, woulda, coulda. Prayer. Intercession with God. As we deal with anxieties and worries. And, and fear itself, honestly, can have a paralyzing effect, can it not? There, there are times when fear is present 
or anticipated, and it literally will cause paralysis within our being. An acute focus occurs in our minds on that situation, that person, that something. And our focus remains there. Whether it's perceived or real, that's where our focus is. When fear is present. I would venture to say it is one of the greatest tools used by Satan. Why not? Fear in itself, with the the paralyzing effect that it can have on, on the individual, on the church, decreases the effectiveness and the power of Jesus Christ in your life and mine. Fear. Some of you are probably sitting there going, you don't understand the fear that I deal with. No, I don't. But God does. And regardless, he's bigger. But when we allow fear to grip us, gripped in fear, we fail to progress forward. Gripped in fear, we continue to question things, to speculate. We find ourselves just spinning in one place. Gripped in fear, we stay in a state of worry. And Nathan's preached on worry. I've preached on worry. We know the physiological dangers of of being in a state of worry. Christ himself commanded us not to worry. Worry is a sin. I came across a quote this week. And I had to share it. I'm not sure the younger generation will understand this. But the quote is this. Worry is the dark room in which negatives are developed. For those of you younger, pictures used to be developed. They weren't digital, okay? And they would do this in a very dark room. Okay, but it goes back to to you and I as well, those dark places of worry. Negative individuals are developed there. It's very true. And in fear, gripped in fear, we seek comfort. We seek comfort. But when when used by the enemy, that fear, that comfort is often backing up not moving forward. Gripped in fear, we, well, we don't want to fail, so we don't do. Gripped in fear, we do nothing. No wonder it's a tool used by Satan. The church becomes ineffective. The church fails to hold on to the power of Jesus Christ. Gripped in fear, we continue to ponder and dwell, think, 
on what ifs. Or what is, and we fail to live for Christ. God's response to fear. In my New American Standard, there's over 360 passages dealing with fear. That's a lot. I'm going to read three. Okay? Three passages. God, all over His Word, deals with fear. The first one, I, I love this one, 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity or fear, but of power, love, and discipline. Discipline, that right thinking. Psalm, I, I love the Psalms. Psalms are just littered with passages speaking to fear. David says, even though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, that's a dark valley. I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. His presence. His very presence eliminates fear. The psalmist would also say in 27.3, look at this, I mean, this is big. Though a host, that's a lot. That's a big number. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. The war rise up against me. In spite of this, I shall be confident. Why? Because you and I serve an amazing God. Imagine for just a moment. Imagine a church absent of fear full of God's peace imagine a family imagine your family absent of fear full of God's peace imagine your marriage absent of fear filled with peace Imagine the children of God living that way. What would that look like? Two passages in God's Word. Luke 12, 22 through 34. You can write that down. We're not going to look at it today. I've preached on it before, though. Luke 12, 22 through 34, and our passage today are two of my life verses, passages. When it comes to embracing a life free of worry, full of His peace. And I will tell you, as a younger man, I embraced fear and worry quite a bit more you can ask my wife I very seldom fall into that these days and I say seldom I haven't mastered it 
I get my eyes off Christ and I, I fall into it still. But Paul, as he writes today in Philippians chapter 4, my goodness, what a powerful passage to deal with fear. A right thinking. Join me beginning in verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You struggle with fear? Put that passage to memory. You'll be amazed how many times you can reference that in your life. Peace. I love how our passage that we're looking at today begins and ends with God's peace. Did you notice that? At the, at the beginning, it's the peace of God that protects it protects you and I. It protects our mind and our heart. It is the peace of God that is present at the end. His peace goes with us. We'll look at that a little more at the end. But you and I have to understand that it's God's peace that protects us. Worry Fear will destroy you and I. God's peace in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds is a protecting agent in our lives. His peace. And by the way, just for a tidbit here, peace is a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. As a child of God, this is something that is available to you. It is there. It is present. And it protects us mentally, emotionally. We are emotional beings. God created us that way. And His peace protects us. And His peace comes from a right thinking on your part and my part. Thinking. It's amazing how much in this relationship with, with Jesus Christ that God calls you and I to engage our mind. What's on your heart? What's on your mind? How's your thinking this morning? Because truth be told, what you are thinking, how you're thinking, will play out in your actions. It has to. 
So allow God to protect your mind, your heart. Paul breaks down beautifully, and that's this handout that I gave. If you look at it carefully, you will realize, wow, Jed didn't put anything new here. Nope, didn't. Nothing new. Did you notice that that is our passage of Scripture? By the way, this is a fun way sometimes to study a passage of Scripture. But Paul breaks it down, and honestly, when you look at it this way, you're like, wow, that actually kind of makes sense. It's, oh, that's easy to understand. So I hope this is a benefit for you as we break down this passage, as we look at how you and I are to think. I I hope this, this helps. Something a little different to look at there. And Paul is addressing the body of Christ, the family of God. He calls them brethren, brothers and sisters. Okay, this, That word brethren is not just the men, it is, it is the family. It's brothers and sisters in Christ. This is for all of us, young, old, men, women, confident, not so confident. We all need this. It says, think this way. The word whatever that we we continue to look at through this is is an indicator that there's multiple things. It's a plurality of words here. It's a plural idea. That there are multiple things that that fall under each of these categories, each of these six areas that we're going to look at. And we're going to go through them rather quickly. You're like, oh no, he has a six-point sermon. I do. Actually, there's more points than that, but we'll go through this. First thing he says, whatever is true. It is amazing how quickly you and I can get off on falsehoods, on lies. Satan himself is the father of lies. Jesus addressed this about Satan. In John chapter 8, verse 44, look at what Jesus says. He says, you are of your father, the devil. He was speaking to some uh, religious teachers that were, well, they were teaching some bad things there. And he says, And you want to do the desires of your father, the devil. Listen to what he says about it. Who is a murderer from the very beginning and does not stand in the truth. Why? Because there is no truth in him. None. He's the father of lies. It says wherever he speaks is a lie. Whenever he speaks, it's a lie. He speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That is our enemy. That is Satan himself. That is what he produces. And when we begin to believe those lies, we deviate from the truth. Ask yourself, what is it you're pondering? What is it that you're thinking through over and over? What is it you're dwelling on? Is it true? The answer is, I don't know. Find out. It's not worth dwelling on something that's a lie. Is it true? Is it factual or is it just hearsay, something that's unknown? Heresy? Think. 
What do you know that's true? Who do you know that's true? I'll give you a clue. If it opposes this, if it doesn't line up with God's word, it's not true. But once again, we have to engage our minds there a little, don't we? Jesus himself in John 14 would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The very essence of truth is Christ himself. And we look at that. And and Paul goes on and, and he says, now focus on what is honorable. Like what on earth do I, I, what? Respectable behavior. Honorable. It is what you're looking at. Fitting. If the way that you're thinking fitting for a child of God. Think about that. Would God look down, see your thoughts, and consider those things honorable? Or would he go, oh, child of mine, that's not how you should think. That's not a respectable way for you to engage. Then, simply looking at, is it right or wrong? I, these things are basic, church. I'm, I'm not going in and gonna, I'm, no one's going to leave here going, Ooh, wow! Is it right? Whatever is right, this is what you should focus on. Those things that are right, the things that conform to the very standard of God. We, we have right justified there. It, it's a standard Does it line up with him? Is it proper? You and I, believe it or not, have the ability to think rightly. We didn't at one point before Christ, but now we do. Paul would address the Romans in this, and he argues this point beautifully. Romans chapter 6, verse 20 begins this way. And it says, when you were slaves to sin, it's not a good place to be. You are free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do. Things that end in eternal doom. But now, you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God bond slaves chosen to serve him now you do those things that lead to holiness that result in eternal life for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of god is eternal life through jesus christ our lord that's right those are the verses that come before that one do you realize that you and i have been set free to think right to engage in those things that are right Because of Jesus Christ. Oh, what a gift. What a gift he's given. 
And because you and I have that ability, now we can go and look at whatever is pure. Pure. When we think about purity, what is it? It's without moral defect. Without blemish. When we think of that, we think of the spotless Lamb of God, Jesus Christ Himself. Do your thoughts, when you think about things, when you think about situations, when, when those fears come collapsing on you, do your thoughts immediately go to what is pure, Jesus Christ Himself? Whatsoever is pure. And it goes right into lovely. I like that word, by the way, lovely. It's not a word we use much in, in our vocabulary these days. Whatever is lovely. Whatever is free of moral defect. Think about the things that you allow your mind to think on. Maybe the shows you watch. Maybe the songs you sing along to in the car. The thoughts that you allow to come in when you're frustrated. Are they lovely? Free of moral defect? Do those thoughts promote peace? rather than conflict? That's the essence of this. Whatever is lovely. Is what you're thinking on promoting conflict within your, within your heart, within relationships around you? Contrast is stark, isn't it? What you and I think on, the way we view things and circumstances in this light impacts things. The list goes on. Number six, whatever is of good repute. It's another way, by the way, to say admirable. I'm like, repute. That's a word I use daily. Not really. Whatever's admirable. Something worth admiring. Is it positive? Constructive? Do you think on those things? You're like, man, I am really, really going to have to start thinking harder yeah those things admirable it's it's the opposite it's building up it's not tearing down it's not slander it's not gossip it's 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 of good repute it builds up those around you it builds you up as, as you think on the things of christ Often our minds go to the opposite, though, don't we? We wonder why the peace is lacking. 
Paul, if, if these, this list wasn't enough, and by the way, I'd encourage you just to capture each thought this week according to this list, but Paul's like, if that's not enough, he finishes it. <laughs> Excellence and worthy of praise. If there is anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. He says, these things, these six things I've listed, they're worthy of, of praise. If that's the way you're, you're thinking, then my goodness, that's worthy of praising. God will praise you. Man will praise you. It's, it's morals implicated and in, ingrained within our thought process. So Paul just kind of summarizes everything up. Can it be labeled that? These things. Paul broke down those six things for his readers. And he challenges them to do something. Dwell on these things. Consider these things. That's an action, by the way. Paul gives his own life as an example. He says, you can look at these things and you can see them in my life. You have learned them, you've received them, you've heard them. My goodness, you've even seen them in my life as an example. Does your life for that younger believer, for your child, your grandchild, example these things? Does your life exemplify these things to a lost world around you? Do you think this kind of thinking would be addictive to the world around us? I think they'd be like, man, what, what are you on? That's crazy. Look at the world around us and you have the audacity to be at peace? Well, yeah, I, I, I think about these things. What a testimony. Paul says, well, then practice them. Practice does not make perfect, by the way, but it does make better. Paul says, practice these things. It's not just a list of good ideas. Paul is calling his readers to action. You and I are to take action on this. We are to actually engage in a thoughtful process and captivate our thoughts. That's hard to do, isn't it? Because our thoughts just run wild sometimes. Take action, dwell on, ponder. Have you ever dwelt on something? How many of you are really good at dwelling on fear? Okay, a few of you. Good. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm really good at it. I mean, I can see something that scares me. I can see a situation coming. Something I might have to deal with. And man, I can ponder on it and ponder on it and dwell on it and dwell on it. And it hasn't even come yet. Oh, I'm really good at that. Paul says, you know, all of us are natural at doing that. Let's actually engage in an action and dwell on these things. 
Something that doesn't come naturally. So you and I have to take action on it. We have to take action in our living. He says, practice these things. I, I have kids in sports. And you know what? I'm not athletic. I did not pass on this amazing athletic gene where they just go onto any sport field and they are like naturals. They go onto that field and they have to practice. The coach says, I see this area weak. They have to do it over and over and over and strengthen it. They have to practice it. And they get better. It's doing something. James would, well, he would be pretty forthright. You know, often I, I wonder sometimes, I'm like, man, I did six points in that sermon. Wonder what the action's going to be. What's the outcome going to be? Listen to what James says. He's pretty forthright with his readers because he knows people. He says, but prove yourselves. Everybody say it. Yeah, doers. Prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. See, it's so easy to come on a, on a Sunday morning, especially when the weather is messy outside. You really can't do anything there anyway. So let's come and, and hear a sermon. Okay, I feel better. I heard a sermon. I heard God's word. And then you go and you don't implement it. James is like, no. Prove yourselves. Be doers. Do what it says. You leave here and next week you come back and like, Pastor, I did not have peace all week. Well, did you do it? No, I listened and it didn't work. Well, listening isn't going to do a thing until we actually implement what God is telling us to do. It's so easy to be a lazy church. I like being lazy. It appeals to that nature, right? Because to do this is hard. To do this is counter what I would do normally. Lazy is just, you know, it's hard. If I do this, man, Satan's not going to be happy. He's really going to rain me over this week. So I'll just be apathetic. Look at that. Satan's not even going to bother me at all. But what happens if we put our thinking into action? What happens then when what we think begins to impact our heart and our heart and our thinking begins to impact our actions with those around us, with our families, with our church, with the lost world? What happens? These things. These things take place. And I love the result, the outcome. Paul starts with, the peace of God protects. It protects from fear. Peace. How many of you would love to go through this next week with peace? Yeah, of course we would. I mean, goodness. Even Miss America, everybody wants world peace, right? Everybody wants peace. Christmas cards, big words, peace. Right? We want it. 
<laughs> well, the result is the peace of God protects us from fear. And as we engage and we, we put action to these things, the God of peace is present. He's present. Not only does he protect, he's present in the midst of fear. The things that are fearful in your life and mine will not vanish. In fact, they may even come in a greater impact. But he's present in the midst of that. Peace. A change in our patterns of thinking. That's right. There has to be a change, church. And as we change that pattern, there will be a deeper and deeper peace within us. From the very beginning in this passage, Paul has been, remember last week, rejoice. I'll say it again, rejoice. He's been talking about joy and peace and how those are something the believer can hold on to. Not because every situation in life is peaceful, not because everything is joyful, but because of who we are in Christ. Anger and anxiety, worries, fear, those are the things that rob us of that joy, rob us of that peace. Those are the things that force us to look at, to dwell on wrong things. God's saying to us, no. Focus here. Dwell here. Allow my peace to protect. Allow my peace and joy to be present in your life. What an amazing God. And it comes down to the renewing of our thinking, as Paul would write in Romans 12. We have to think differently. We have to think right. Let's pray. God, we want peace. We desire it. God, through your spirit, you have given it. God, I pray that your children, your church, would embrace it fully. I ask, Lord, that you would allow each of us this week to take captive our thoughts. God, that we would, we would implement a right thinking on these things. And the result would be a church, a people, families and marriages that would recognize the peace that you are and that you give. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.